Today on Real Life Radio. If an earthquake knocked this building down, it has nothing to do with, oh, look, the gates of hell prevailed against the... That's not what it means. The church is gathered together based upon the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the gates of hell cannot defeat that. This is Real Life. Welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Jack Hibbs. I'm David J. thanking you for joining us today as we listen, learn, and are challenged by God's Word, the Bible. Jesus warned us that in the end times, deception like a virus will spread like wildfire. Disguised as the answer to all our problems, our secular culture can only offer replacements to the truth. The good news is that the truth of the Bible is the cure. In Pastor Jack Hibbs' new book called Living in the Days of Deception, he exposes the lies with knowledge, experience, and scripture. In a world of deceit, this book is a powerful tool for answers and for truth. From the inspiring foreword written by Mike Pompeo to the final chapter, Living in the Days of Deception is a powerful must-read. Let the deception of this world stop here. Order Living in the Days of Deception today by making a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Real Life. Order now and you'll receive exclusive bonus video content by Pastor Jack. Go to jackhibbs.com days. That's D-A-Z-E days. jackhibbs.com days. On today's edition of Real Life Radio, Pastor Jack continues his new series called 1 Corinthians with a message called One Church Under God, Part 1. 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul, of course, to the Church of God in Corinth. And this is a study on how to stay true to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You see, the Corinthian church was not only divided, but influenced by the culture and practices of their day. So Paul encourages them on what God can do if they are united in truth. So today, Pastor Jack teaches that when Paul calls the church in Corinth his brethren, it's an amazing example of Paul's love and spiritual maturity, a vantage point of seeing the church as the body of Christ that's bigger and better than themselves. Now with his message called One Church Under God, Part 1, here's pastor and Bible teacher Jack Hughes. I think last service people ran out of the building with their hair on fire. So I want you to put your seatbelt on. We need to start installing seatbelts, I think, on our, on our seats here. Uh, because it's pretty intense. I got to tell you, Paul rolls, up his, Paul rolls up his sleeve and he gives the Corinthian church a wallop, man. And the part that's pretty terrifying is what he calls them out on, it's been happening for 2,000 years and longer for that matter. It happens today. Some of the stuff he's going to call the Corinthian church on, it's, it's happening maybe in your life. So you know how the first nine verses were really kind of sweet? He was saying, I just think you guys are amazing. I think about you all the time. I love you. You're the church at Corinth. Your salvation is secure in heaven. God loves you. And you're well positioned as a believer. You're my brethren, he called them. And now that he's laid that foundation down, he does what any good instructor, any good father, any good pastor does. He builds them up in their position and then he exposes, reveals to them the area that they're off in. And it's huge. And so I want you to be thinking this morning, this is a very dangerous message for this reason. You're not gonna wanna hear it 
but you got to hear it. The temptation for you to ignore it's going to be high. It's going to be great. But if you do that, you're only damaging yourself. And you don't want to do that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10, we pick it up where we left off. Follow along with me if you would. This is what Paul says to them now. In fact, he makes that opening declaration now. The word in Greek, it's a a snapping of the finger. All right, here we go. He says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the authority of Jesus Christ. I'm talking to you. He says that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Verse 11, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Verse 17, this is the awesome punch. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. You say, what is he talking about? Well, first of all, set this in your mind. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, in fact, he's brought the disciples together in Matthew chapter 16. You don't need to turn there. You can write it down in your reference, in your notes. In Matthew 16, Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. It's in northern Israel today. It's a beautiful place. And he begins to speak to them. And I want you to look at the screens right now. And you guys just hold that image up on the screen for a moment. As Jesus was with his disciples, he takes them to this region that many of you have been with me on. We've toured this area. Now, this is a modern day sketch of an ancient sketch from the day, 2,000 years ago. So this is a sketch of a sketch. (laughs) But we know from archaeological discovery, you'll see soon, you see those temples in fact, as you're looking at these temples, go to the right of the screen. See how that, those trees slope upward? There's a vantage point right there. It's a, it's a hill. Jesus would have taken his disciples, because it's the only vantage point, on the hill. And they gather together, and he asks them a question. He says to them, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're the prophet. Some say, and then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Stop right there. See this location? Each of these temples, now some of them have outdoor worship. Let's look, um, you see the two, obviously the two big stone temples. Look in between. You see that, that arch or that niche that's cut into the rock? You see those people and statues gather around on that platform? That was an area of worship. And you would put your God in that niche. Do you see the hillside? There's all these other little carvings, these niches. You would put your God there and you'd go through your worship of your pagan or foreign statue, of your foreign God. And the temples are 
numerous. There's one to the far right. Do you see what looks like a fountain? That is the temple of the nymphs. You know, nymphomania? A nymphomaniac is a sex addict. That's where the sex at the pornographers of the day, that's where they would go. You would hire a temple prostitute in honor of the God or goddesses or, and you would go through those things that I can't talk about now, all under the guise of religious worship. How convenient's that? Well, listen, people today are still going to the altar of their computer regarding that kind of stuff. Okay, and so there's various things going on. This is a mall of pagan worship. It is an agora of paganism. But do you see the large, big hole behind the one temple there? Okay, keep that picture in your mind now. Next slide, you guys. The, the niche that was between the two temples, I'm standing inside that niche. The church is gathered around. Do you look, look to the far right where that one gentleman is standing? Do you see the niche above his head? Some of those images that we saw in the, in the rendering earlier. Next slide. Check this out. Okay, to the far, or to, I should say, the center of this uh, screen. That's that big, large area. Why is that important? That's where the headwaters of the Jordan River come out. Why is that important? Next slide. Because what would happen in worship, you would take your child, your firstborn baby, or an animal, if you didn't have a baby, and you would go through your worship, and you would cast the life of that animal or that child into that rocky, craggy pit where the water is gushing out. And if blood came out, then the gods rejected your sacrifice. You were in big trouble. If no blood came out, and in the turbulence of the water, you say, well, that doesn't look turbulent now. That's because about six, seven feet below that spot, the Jordan River is gushing out of the ground beneath. The geology has changed since. And so you would throw your sacrifice in there in your act of worship. Next slide, or is that it? I don't remember. That's it. All in pagan worship. Why is that important? Because during the time of Christ, that was the center. That was the place of bizarre, new age, radical thinking, which was mating with ancient Babylonianism. The worship of the 360 gods of the ancient Babylonian world. They're all represented there. Why is it important? Because Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Because when you went to that worship moment, you would say, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And you would go through your act of worshiping Diana. If it was Zeus, you would proclaim Zeus as God. Hey, by the way, they had another saying. You guys all know it. It's Caesar is Lord. Remember that? You either declare that Jesus was Lord. And if you did, you put yourself right immediately at odds with Caesar. Emperor worship. So you would state the name of your God and you would worship. Now do you see why Jesus on the hill say, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, Peter, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say unto you, Petros, pebble. Peter's name means pebble. Little piece of rock. Upon this Petra, I will build my church. Petra is a massive rock. You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus, there never was a church built on that site. Hang on. He goes on to say, upon this rock, pebbles, 
I will build my church and the gates of what? Hell shall not prevail against it. The Jews called that location, that pit, that hole, the gate of hell. And the associated areas of worship, the gates of hell. So Jesus used the modern statement of the day to say, when I build my church upon the fact that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I'm going to tell you something right now. The very gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That had to give them goosebumps and cause them to maybe jump up and down. Ladies and gentlemen, that truth of Jesus is still true today and will forever be true. Have churches started and failed? Yes. Those that were not of God? Those that got their eyes off of God? Yes. Local churches start and fail everywhere around the world. But the church of Christ, God, will never fail in the earth. There will always be what we would say the remnant. Yes? There will always be his people. There always have been. There always will be. So if an earthquake were to... I know we wouldn't have an earthquake, would we? <laughs> if an earthquake knocked this building down, it has nothing to do with, oh, look, the gates of hell prevailed against the church. That's not what it means. The church is gathered together based upon the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the gates of hell cannot defeat that. Amen. Why is that important? Because in 1 Corinthians, it was a church flirting with disaster. And you're going to be quite surprised about how that disaster was about to come about and how prevalent it is today. You're listening to Real Life with Pastor Jack Hibbs. You know, to hear more episodes and maybe catch up in the series, just go to jackhibbs.com. That's jackhibbs.com. And for now, let's get back to our teaching. Once again, here's Pastor Jack. Point number one, as we look at this, actually, we should just read it, huh? He goes on to say, look at me, look with me in verse... Um, well, look at verse, thir- look at Matthew, well, Matthew 16, 13. We just read he's in the area of Caesarea Philippi. And that area is described there in your head. Point number one, look at verse 10. Mark it down. One church under God is what we want to be considering today. One church under God. And here's the cool part. It's not us here today. Only. It's the believers, the true believers in the world collectively. Watch this. Number one, verse 10. A united church will have the same Lord. Will you mark that down? This is going to sound almost silly, but the Lord is concerned about, you're going to hear Paul speaking about us being united. The church at Corinth was divided. So the thing we want to realize is a united church will have the same Lord. And you might be thinking, well, Jack, doesn't every church have the same Lord? Not necessarily. Maybe in verbiage, maybe in statement, but not in action. And that's the problem. That's the danger. There is this that's going on. In verse 10, we're united in obedience. And I want you to mark that down. When Paul says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the word name means the authority. And Paul evokes something very powerful. The Lord, it is Jesus who is the Christ. Meaning that nobody at Corinth has the Messiahship. Nobody at Corinth can create another Jesus. Nobody at Corinth is the Lord. It's the Lord only. And that's very exclusive. So he's first of all says, listen, you guys, it's by this. 
It's by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ I'm speaking to you. Notice this, that he calls them brethren. Even though they're off track, Paul says to them, you are my brothers. But I want you to mark that word, plead. This is an amazing word. In English, we read it here because the context demands it. It's pretty spectacular. We say plead, but the word in Greek is parakaleo, and it means this, to call you near. It means to invite you over. It means to have you stand with me. If I'm going to parakaleo you, I'm asking you to join with me. I'm inviting you to go with me or to be with me or to stand with me. That's amazing and powerful. Why? Because here is Paul talking to a church that you would think this is already a settled issue, that Jesus is Lord. If you were to interview somebody at Corinth, they would say Jesus is Lord, but their conduct was altogether different. So when he says, I plead with you, parakaleo, that word is also used by Jesus in John 16, verse 7. He says, nevertheless, Jesus does, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away or go back to heaven. For if I do not go away, the parakaleo, the helper, the comforter will not come to you, the Holy Spirit. So we know something. Paul is acting in the place or as a tool of God, pleading with them in the manner of the words of Jesus and the Holy Spirit as a comforter. But guess what? That same exact word appears again, parakaleo, in 1 John 2, 1. John writes there, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have a parakaleo, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is amazing. Because when he invites them near, he's saying, come over here. I am going to both comfort you and I'm going to argue your case. Advocate, legal term, yes. But comforter, yes. A term of endearment. Paul is saying, join me in a united way under the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's the challenge to all of us today. To join a church, not any church, not some church. Join the church, which is universal in the earth earth by faith in Jesus Christ. I know you might be a member of some church. This is a Calvary Chapel. There's people who are from all kinds of churches. But you must understand something. You'll see it strongly as Paul gets into this. You cannot think for a moment that that has any sway with God. It might impress some people. Well, I've been a member of a certain church for 40 years. Who cares? That doesn't matter. What's down deep in the heart? Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter what kind of card you have to Say that you were a member. What's in the heart? Who do you know? Do you know Christ personally? How is your walk with God? Is it for real? Is it passionate? Is it hot for the things of God? The Corinthian church had all of the right answers, but they were acting differently. And that's a dangerous thing. Obedience to God. Number two, fellowship. We're united by fellowship. He says, and he goes on in verse 10, number one here in verse 10, he says that you all speak the same thing. You had to circle the word thing. We're going to find out, well, what's the same thing? Paul, what do you want us to say? What do you want us to be thinking, believing, speaking? Speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. No cliques. No little groups. But that you be perfectly joined 
together. The word perfectly joined together is one word and it means to be setting the bone back in place. It's a medical term to set the bone. It implies a bone is broken. That's interesting because the word division means to separate or to break the bone. So look at that again, verse 10. I want you guys to speak the same thing. Why? Because you know what? There's divisions. Your bones, as a church, your bones are broken. Hey, if you ever had a broken, uh, broken bone, um, I had a broken finger. I never got it fixed. See how crooked it is? I was playing in the snow and broke it. And I figured most of the pain was over, so why would I go to the doctor to have him hurt me more? And uh, I don't do anything with that particular finger, so I left it alone, and it, it, it dried all wrong and messed up. It wasn't set right. Jesus, as a shepherd of us, a shepherd over sheep, I've told you before in John's gospel, if there was a sheep, if there was a lamb of the shepherds that was wandering away, listen, God does this. If you're a believer today, if you're, if you're not a believer, he will not do this to you. But if you are a believer and you wander away from God and you have a tendency to keep wandering from God, do you know what he does? He does what every shepherd does to a wandering lamb that he owns. He takes the lamb. <laughs> Let me pause right there. You've all seen the pictures of the shepherd walking on the hill and he's got the cute little lamb around his neck. You ever seen that picture? And you go, "Mm, that's so cute. You know, that's a brutal picture. You want to know why? Shepherds don't carry sheep unless the shepherd has a reason. The shepherd would take that little lamb and he would put its little wandering hind leg, stretch it out and put it between two rocks He would take another rock or his rod predominantly. You know, the shepherd's staff and the rod. The staff was for gathering. The rod was for beating wolves and wild animals away. And the shepherd would take that rod and boom, and break that little leg. Oh yeah, you go, oh. (laughs) Better to be a lamb who learns its lesson than a shawarma in a pita. (laughs) Why? Because... The little lamb, now that its legs broke from its wanderings, it has to ride on the back of the shepherd's shoulders. And the little lamb begins to smell the shepherd's, uh, uh, lick the shepherd's neck, know the shepherd's voice, feel the shepherd's pulse, knows everything about the shepherd. You learn everything about your shepherd when you come through hardship, when you come through difficulty, especially if you wander away and you're really a child of God, he'll come after you with a rod and he'll break your leg, so to speak. He might have to break your nose for some of you. And... In your recovery process, you know the shepherd better than ever. And that's a very powerful thing to keep in mind. Why? Because when Paul is talking about the bone being set, sometimes the bone is set in such a way that it's, it's not done medically or it's not done professionally. And that little lamb will always limp. You see all the other little lambs way ahead of the shepherd? You'll see one lamb limping behind the shepherd, just staying close to the shepherd. Pastor and Bible teacher, Jack Hibbs, here on Real Life Radio, with his message called One Church Under God, Part 1. Thanks for joining us today. You know, this message is part of Pastor Jack's series called First Corinthians. It's a series on the Corinthian church and the Apostle Paul's bold call for purity. And we'll continue on the next edition of Real Life Radio. 
Hey, everybody. Obviously, it is 2024, and we are in that cycle again called an election year. And someone's going to be making decisions about your wallet, about your children, about your property tax, and about your freedoms, and how you're going to live your life. And I just want to encourage you. I personally would encourage you by saying this. I refuse to be a victim of bad government. Even if we have bad government, I'm not going to be victimized by it. And you shouldn't either, which means this, that you and I are monarchist. In other words, we believe in a ruling, reigning king. His name is Jesus, and he's coming back. But as we enter into this year, and you, you hear and you watch all of the news and all of the, frankly, noise that's out there, I'm going to ask you to be thinking biblically. I'm going to be asking you to process everything biblically. I'm going to ask you, in fact, I'll include myself, let's divorce ourselves from our emotions and let's get engaged in the culture for righteousness sake. We represent the kingdom of God. Until he calls us home, it's incumbent upon you and I to get involved in righteous doing, which means vote righteously. That simply means that whoever's on the ballot and whoever you're voting for, look to see what their voting record is all about. Are they pro-life, for example, because God's pro-life? Are they pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel? Are they pro-marriage because God's pro-marriage? You see what I'm saying, my friends? Is he pro-borders because God's pro-borders in his Bible? Pray, vote, and then pray for the outcome. But through it all, remember, Jesus is on the throne. This program is made possible by the generous contributions of you, our listeners. Visit us at jackhibbs.com. That's jackhibbs.com. Until next time, Pastor Jack Hibbs and all of us here at Real Life Radio wish for you solid and steady growth in Christ and in His Word. We'll see you next time here on Real Life Radio.